Can you enjoy Thanksgiving dinner without the holiday hassles? Better believe it. The Pilgrim Sub is back at Get-Go Cafe and Market. Come and taste why it's our best-selling sub of all time. This holiday feast starts with our fresh-baked secret recipe stuffing bread. Then we load it with juicy roasted turkey, melted Wisconsin white cheddar, savory gravy, and if you like, house-made cranberry sauce. Don't wait for Turkey Day to chow down on this tasty tradition. The Pilgrim Sub is only here for a limited time. Get-Go Cafe and Market. Better believe it. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody. Dr. Lowe is in the building once again. Thank you for tuning in to another fabulous show. I am your host, Dr. Lauren Noel, and I'm a naturopathic doctor, which means that I am trained in conventional medicine as well as natural medicine. Thanks for being such a... um, Faithful follower of the show, the show is climbing in the charts, it's in the top 10 steadily, which is just crazy to me after just four months of the show, so I'm very, very happy about that. As usual, we'll be taking your Facebook and Twitter questions, and I had a bunch of questions actually at the end of last week's show on Facebook, but it was actually too late for me to see it because I was, you know, managing the switchboard, so if you want to make sure your question is asked, be brave and call in. I know some of you guys get stage fright on the air, but nobody can see you. And if you're wondering it, I'm sure other people are wondering it as well. So there are no dumb questions. The number to call in, 818-495-6919. But I will do my best to check the Facebook and Twitter questions as well. So facebook.com slash Noel and twitter.com slash Noel. Let's see here, announcements. Next week's show, one in three people have this condition. It's incredibly common. It's affecting more and more children each year. And this is diabetes and pre-diabetes. 100 million Americans have this condition, and there are only 300 million in the country, so it's an epidemic. And I'll be having the fabulous Dr. Mona Morstein on the show. She's a highly respected naturopathic doctor. She's an expert in diabetes, so it'll be a great show. Anyone you know who's suffering from that condition, or pretty much anybody, actually, because we're pretty much all at risk if we don't change our act, um, tune in. It'll be a great show. That'll be one week from tonight. We have some amazing guests in the lineup. Um, I will wait to share those with you until next week, but we do have confirmed Sally Fallon of Nourishing Traditions. That will be in just a few weeks. So I'm very, very excited about that and some other really amazing guests as well. Our guest tonight pretty much speaks another language, which is the language of neurology. I remember going to a training with the Carrick Institute, and my head was pretty much spinning by the end of the night. So he's a very, very smart guy joining us tonight. And we have Dr. Michael Pierce. He is a doctor of chiropractic and a fellow of the American College of Functional Neurology, an assistant professor of clinical neurology for the Carrick Institute for Graduate Studies, where he teaches uh, molecular and clinical neurochemistry. He has many years under his belt as a medical director and professor for numerous clinics and schools, including Northwestern Health Sciences University in uh, Minnesota. He maintains a consulting neurology practice in Colorado Springs, Colorado, He enjoys snowboarding, climbing, biking, and kayaking, and he claims that his brain is stronger now than it was in college due to practicing what he preaches, and we will learn all about those secret methods tonight. Dr. Pierce, are you with us? Yes, thanks. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to have you. So I remember sitting in a car with you, taking you to the airport after going to one of your um, fabulous seminars you put on as I, was, as I was a student and saying, hey, I have this idea for this radio show. What should we call it? I just think that's so amazing. Now you're a guest on the show, so it's a very small world indeed. <laughs> well, it's an honor. Your show is really amazing. 
Well, thanks. I enjoy doing it. And uh, I love that we can just, you know, reach so many people and it's a free service. So I just, I love doing it. I just totally enjoy. Um, and I know a little bit about your journey, but for the people who are listening who don't know you, what's what's your journey been like in becoming the uh, specialized doctor that you are? Well, I started out kind of in the in, in your field in, in a sense, in, in that we were looking for doctors when I was a child to help with food allergies of my own and my brother and sister. And uh, we didn't have nature paths in the Washington, D.C. area. So we went to medical doctors and tried to find answers and, and didn't have very many. So we read books and tried to figure out what to do and ended up with an elimination diet, which was the best tool back then. And that led me to uh, the nutrition path. Later on, I had injuries that led me to um, uh, chiropractic and then ultimately chiropractic neurology and studying the brain. Got it. Wow. And so a huge part of your practice is still talking about just how the food affects the body and the brain and all of that, right? Oh, yeah. Our practice serves naturopaths and chiropractors and nutritionists quite a lot. We work for them in that they hire us to help diagnose patients that have brain imbalances that affect their digestion and their hormones and their immune system. Wow. I know from doing a lot of the trainings with Apex, with Apex Energetics and a little bit with, with Carrick that um, the brain is often totally missed. It's like the, the, one, it's like the, the red-headed stepchild. No one pays attention to it. It's like the last thing they think about. But isn't the brain involved in so many conditions? Yeah, you'll see in the medical textbooks it says that the brain controls and coordinates every other system. Right, and and so what is, you know, the, the title for the show is Wired and Tired. I mean, I, it was actually kind of tough for me to sit down and think of questions for the show because it's just so widespread. You know, we're going to touch on autoimmune disease and hormone imbalances and um, and, you know, neurology as well. And so how are these complex systems connected? How do they communicate with each other? Well, it's pretty exciting. There's a, a group of, a, a bundle of brain cells, of different areas of brain cells that control the immune system. And the, the funny thing is the left side and the right side of the brain it has different control mechanisms for, for the immune system. One side, the left side, tends to really activate the immune system and make it fire and keep it awake and active. And the right side of the brain tends to suppress and, and keep gated or controlled to put the brakes on the immune system and make sure it doesn't overfire. Interesting. So so how is this related to, like, the different branches of the immune system? So I know, like, in, in, in studying, um, like, autoimmune disease, for example, you know, there's, there's like, the Th1 and Th2. What, what does that mean exactly for people who aren't familiar with that? And how is that balanced in the immune system? Well, the, uh, the Th1 and Th2 immune system are basically the cell-mediated and the blood-mediated, or you could say the, the T cells and the B cells or the, um, the antibodies and the, and the killer cells. Their jobs are to fight uh, infection from an evolutionary model in a complex way. They're designed to go after different bugs with different armaments. And so our nervous system is ultimately in the control of those. We've got a, a system called the TH3 system, that's the regulatory system that really controls the activation of both of those TH1 and TH2 systems and keeps them in balance. You could say it keeps the T cells and the B cells in check. And um, ultimately the brain is in control of all of that so what we're trying to do is say that in cases where they, they break all the rules and their intestines don't work and their T and, uh, T and B cell regulatory systems don't work, we give them supplements that should regulate them and that doesn't work, we say, hey, maybe it's the brain. And it isn't always. We don't always. We don't always succeed. But many times we can find that subtle brain imbalances that seem like they're not very large or very important, and they may even seem trivial, can be a big problem for people with autoimmune disorders um, and other endocrine disorders and, and autonomic disorders. Right. So in your practice, um, 
you, I'm sure, you know, fatigue is like one of the main reasons why people go to the doctor, right? So people are tired, they're dragging, they can't think straight. What do you see in your practice as the main reasons for these types of symptoms? Well, this certainly isn't all people because we have a specialty practice, so really don't take this as the truth for everybody because, quite frankly, most people that have a problem that's natural or that isn't, that isn't too, um, too pathological get fixed by naturopaths in our experience and by chiropractors. If they've got structural problems or chemical imbalances, most of them are fixed by chiropractors and naturopaths. We only see those ones that aren't fixed. We only see the exceptions. So let me say that first. But to answer your question, the general idea is that we see people with problems of eye movements, problems of balance, problems of pupil control and, and blood vessel uh, constriction and dilation control, people with hormone imbalances. All those subtle signs show up on the physical exam, in the labs, in the history, in the, um, in the electrodiagnostics. All those things show up, and then we begin to correlate them and say, hey, maybe these trivial things that would seem trivial in everybody else are really at the root of the problem in people with these terrible endocrine imbalances. Hmm. And so does, would that pretty much explain, like, what functional neurology is? Because that's, that's pretty much what your specialty is, right? Yeah, we, we do um, functional neurology, and that's a field that kind of broke out of um, it broke out of the early psychoneuroimmunology field, which was the big thing maybe 30 years ago, where doctors were first beginning to say that nerve cells communicate with immune cells, and the immune cells communicate with nerve cells through chemokines and cytokines and other, other good and bad forms of chemistry and with receptors. Ultimately, in the 1990s, the National Institutes of Health spent a lot of money on universities to study imaging of the brain using those PET scans and functional MRI scans and a whole number of different scanning devices to measure what happens to people in their brain when they do all kinds of activities. And out of that decade, from the 1990s to 2000, um, came, uh, uh, came tons of information. And those circuits became the textbooks and the materials and the essence of what we do now. Wow. I, uh, I had the opportunity to shadow um, a doc up in Portland who does functional uh, neurology, and it was just amazing. I mean, these people coming in who have been in car accidents and all kinds of different, you know, accidents, and they're just they're getting better left and right. And, you know, looking at them, initially you'd think, oh, they're never going to get better. And it's like after seeing mm-hmm. them over a course of weeks, it's amazing through doing different eye movements and, you know, all the different exercises you guys show them, it's like, the most amazing stuff was happening. It was just crazy. I felt I was like, I don't know what I can do, but it's just it's good that I know that there are these these you know specialized practitioners who can offer these services for patients. So, yeah, yeah it's amazing. So, I want to just jump into a few different, I guess, symptoms. So, um, I remember going to one of your trainings, and you were talking about um, the deal breakers. Now, and, and meaning that there are some particular conditions that, a people, that people could have that if those aren't addressed first, they pretty much won't get better from anything, right? Can you go into those? Yeah, well, sure. Let me, let me give credit where it's due here. These are, the, these are the deal breakers that are talked about by Dr. Karazian, Dr. Datif Karazian, and by Dr. Uh, Shane Stedman, and by Dr. Glenn Zielinski. So I didn't invent these. These came from, from um, really those guys. But they're actually, at their root, a good part of, of real sound medical practice, no matter whether you're naturopath or medical, chiropractic or, or other. Uh, and they're, they're the basics. The idea that a patient should be screened for things like hypoglycemia or high blood sugar or um, high and low blood sugar, of course. They should be screened for anemia. They should be screened for adrenal problems, imbalances of the adrenal system, the, the uh, cortisol system, those, those stress hormones. They should be screened for um, toxins in their intestines and liver. Uh, they should be screened for sleep disorders. All the different basics that we would look for 
in any good history taking because 90% of, of diagnosis comes from good history taking. Right. And so these things are commonly missed. People are just thrown on medications, and it's like the cause of the conditions just aren't ever addressed, right? Yeah, they, they miss the basics sometimes, and then they got to go back over that ground and make sure that they're really careful about blood sugar and adrenals and toxins and uh, digestion and, and anemia. Uh, we see that all the time. In fact, that's a big part of osteopathic medicine as well as naturopathic and chiropractic natural medicine is those foundations. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Sometimes starting with the most basic things make the biggest difference. I mean, I remember having a patient where I was like, okay, um, do you chew your food? You know, once they start chewing their food, they digest their food, they get all their nutrients, and then they have energy. It's like, okay, let's go back to the basics, make sure that those things are in place before we jump to the, the big guns. <laughs> You're right, and Americans forget that so often. Oh, we we totally do. I do, too. I mean, I was just, you know, pacing around today, nervous about the show, eating, you know, some gluten-free whatever cookies or, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, I try to practice what I preach, but, you know, we all have to remind ourselves to do it, so. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. So, you know, hormones is, is one thing I wanted to cover in the show, and, and you're the expert on the brain. How are the brain, how is the brain related to hormones? Because it's two systems that, you know, most people don't really connect those at all. Well, that's a really good question. The, the basic structure scientifically of, of what we're talking about here is little known. Everybody's taught that the left side of the brain controls the right side of the body and the right side of the brain controls the left side of the body. And that's really only true for about 10% of the fibers that leave the brain and it's, it's only true for the volitional or the conscious control of your, of your limbs and, and your body. The unconscious control, the part that, um, that controls your hormones and that controls your blood vessels and your heart rate and your respiration and your sweating, all that stuff is, um, and your immune system is, is really the 90% of the fibers that we send on the same side of the brain to your brain stem, and they control the, the entire autonomic nervous system, from digestion to, um, to uh, uh, you know, sweating and, like I said, goosebumps, uh, rashes. All that stuff is under that control. That's not to say you can't get external triggers, but the, the Severity and intensity and duration is really controlled by the brain. It's the difference that makes humans different between um, humans and animals. Humans have a very big brain, and that very big brain controls and gates the immune system and the autonomic system so it doesn't overfire. So that's the difference between, say, dogs and people, where a dog will have massive outflow of, of saliva and, and massive overreaction to nearly everything. Uh, and humans don't because they've got big brains. Hmm. Interesting. And so, like, let's let's just talk about, I guess, specific hormones like estrogen, progesterone, you know, testosterone. How do these things affect the brain, or how, how are they connected? Well, there's a there's there's two way systems. There's there's the brain affecting the secretion of the hormones, and that regulatory effect is we call it the descending effect because the brain sends signals to the glands like the hypothalamus and the pituitary and the testes and ovaries and the adrenal glands, telling them how much hormone to make and in what proportion. So that's the that's the descending control. On the other hand is the ascending feedback system where the estrogen can affect the brain and, and can cause all kinds of problems. If a, if a woman has too much estrogen, she can have difficulties. And if she has too little estrogen, she can have problems with her brain and her heart. So the, the levels of estrogen and the toxic estrogens are really important for them to make sure that they're in the right ranges. So we partly look at the brain and we partly look at lab tests of blood or saliva see if the woman has pathologies or, or functional imbalances that are not pathologies of the estrogen system. Got it. All right. So you kind of have to see where for that particular patient it's kind of thrown off and then just figure mm -hmm. out from that point where to jump into that cycle? 
Yeah, and naturopaths are very, very good at that. They've been publishing and studying that and been at the cutting edge of that for a long time. The only thing we really have to offer them, which is a small piece but very important, is that brain circuit control, that idea that a, a, a brain exam can show you different circuits that are weak. And if those circuits are weak, then we see a weakness of control of the autonomic system and the hormone system. Totally. Got it. I, I don't know if I actually mentioned the, the phone number for listeners, 818-495-6919, 818-495-6919, if you want to ask Dr. Pierce a question. Um, okay. I would love to talk a little bit about, we hear about leaky gut. We mentioned it on the show before. What is leaky brain? <laughs> well, it's a great question. Uh, the, the, the question's been asked a lot. Leaky gut and leaky brain are very linked together. Leaky gut originated with studies that were involved with burn victims, people that had big burns throughout most of their, of their skin. And when they had these massive burns, they had a massive release of cortisol and other stress hormones that made them slough off the lining of their intestine. And when they sloughed off the lining of their intestine, they would sometimes die. And so uh, doctors began to discuss this and discover it and publish about it, mostly in England and, and, the, United, and the United Kingdom, um, in, in Europe, and then eventually it made it to the United States. And so that's where the original leaky gut thing came from. So it's not some kind of a, some kind of hokum. It's actual science. Now, people can get that to a lesser degree without full-body burns, of course, and that's what we see in, in lots of chronic illness. When it becomes bad enough to affect the blood-brain barrier, then we start having leakiness in the brain, too, where, where things that should not leak into the brain from the bloodstream actually do leak into the brain. So that's, um, that's a process by which those astrocytes, which are those very powerful nurse cells that nurse the, the, the neurons of the brain. There's about 10 nurse cells to every one neuron or nerve cell in your, in your head and in your spinal cord. And those cells sometimes break down and can't do their job and they can't form a tight barrier. When they break down from any number of causes, they let stuff in that should not come in and there's all kinds of problems in the brain. Hmm. So how would a person know if they might have a leaky brain? Well, the biggest symptom of, of, a, of a blood-brain barrier is brain fog that sensation of I'm just not clear, I'm not able to think, I feel a bit intoxicated or maybe drunk or hungover without having alcohol, um, I feel affected the morning after certain bad foods or even a few hours after, after offending foods. Um, sometimes it's any food, depending on how severe it is. And there are some really good tests for this problem, um, tests for, for, for gut and, and not, not so well-developed tests for leaky brain, but there's some pretty good tests for leaky gut. Hmm. So, what would what would be some things that would make someone more predisposed to having a leaky brain? Well, of course, having leaky gut first would would um, would, would set somebody up for a leaky brain. Um, having genes or antibodies to say gluten or other types of um, food antigens, having uh, a massive exposure to mold, having an autoimmune disease already or a family history of autoimmune disease, having um, having cancers, having uh, nutritional deficiencies or imbalances taking um, over-the-counter medications or other drugs uh, that wreak havoc on the intestines um, can sometimes set that up, not for everybody. Uh, those, are, those are just a few of the causes. Mm-hmm. I remember hearing um, one of the trainings they were talking about GABA and how if GABA makes you really tired, that can be a clue of leaky brain. Do you see that in your practice? Yeah, we've been, we've been using a natural bioassay. We don't have the best evidence in the world, but we do have some good clinical evidence. But we're waiting for better uh, scientific studies, but... Now, in order to be clinically, clinically responsible, we need some kind of bioassay. So we use this molecule called GABA, and GABA is an inhibitory neurotransmitter that's used in the brain. And um, uh, you can take it over the counter. It's a very safe supplement to take. But the interesting thing about it is it's just about too big to cross the blood-brain barrier in healthy people. 
So if people take GABA, and I'm not talking about supplements that make more GABA, but actual GABA, preformed GABA in a pill, and it goes through their blood-brain barrier and makes it into their brain, it would cause them, in many cases, to be sedated or inhibited and feel quite relaxed, like maybe they'd had a glass of wine. And they would feel quite good and be able to go to sleep and feel um, a relief of anxiety. So the problem is, if that works, we know that it crossed the blood-brain barrier, and it really shouldn't. So that means the barriers um, is a little bit larger, the, the spaces and the windows inside that um, blood-brain barrier have grown a little too big. So it's a simple bioassay that we use. And really, any, any change in, in, in the brain, um, uh, if, it's, if this test is done properly, would show us that there's a problem, even people that get more excited. And that's because of a little more complicated biochemical pathway we could talk about another time or, or answer <laughs> offline. And, but, yeah, any, any real change that happens, you shouldn't feel anything if you take GABA if you've got a good brain because it's too darn big to cross the healthy barrier. Right, right, right. So speaking of autoimmune diseases, um, that term is used a lot, and I'm sure a lot of people listening don't really know what is an autoimmune disease. What, how do you explain mm-hmm. autoimmune disease to your patients? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked this because um, there's a big discrepancy going on. There, there's an emergence of people that are, that are developing something called an autoimmune reaction, and then there's the classic pathology of the autoimmune disease. So let's talk about autoimmune disease first. Autoimmune disease is really um, defined as the destruction of certain tissue through antibodies that attack the tissue. So your own immune system, instead of attacking some offending organism, starts to affa- uh, attack your own organs. And if it starts to destroy those organs and we gather evidence of it, then you qualify for the diagnosis of autoimmune disease. But there's a whole host of people that don't quite make it that far uh, at the time of diagnosis, and they cannot technically be called autoimmune disease patients. Those people are caught early, and we find antibodies to certain tissue, like we might find antibodies to thyroid or antibodies to joint tissue and rheumatoid, or we might find antibodies to skin or liver. We might find um, nuclear antibodies and lupus all those different antibodies, but we haven't seen enough evidence of destruction of tissue yet, so we can't officially call it autoimmune disease yet. We call that autoimmune reaction. Interesting. So so based on lab work, a person could see they're having a reaction, but because there's not actual symptoms like that you can see, like or you know, signs on a physical exam or whatever, then you can't really diagnose the disease yet, right? Yeah, yeah, you've got to read those diagnostic and statistical manuals and see um, see about well, that those are for mental illness, but for, for physical illness, you've got to look at the diagnostic criteria and very carefully see if a person truly qualifies because before they're placed with a diagnosis of autoimmune disease, that's a pretty serious uh, diagnosis to slap on them. They have to meet a, a series of tough criteria to qualify for um, uh, actual um, autoimmune disease, but we'd like to catch them early and stop that. Right, so if you see in the, in the lab work, you can go, okay, we have a process starting. It doesn't look like it's t- turned into the disease quite yet, but we can actually change some things to where maybe the person won't get this ultimately, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So how do you see that autoimmune disease develops in the first place? Well, I think the world expert on this is probably uh, Aristo Vajdani. He's a famous um, uh, uh, immunologist, a uh, research immunologist, who has um, done a whole lot of work over, gosh, longer than I've been alive, I think, and, He's one of my heroes. He's, he's done a tremendous amount of work. You'll find his information all over the accepted, peer-reviewed uh, scientific literature on immunology. He found that um, there's a huge body of, of, um, of evidence that you can track um, for antibodies to, uh, to food, antibodies to self, and antibodies ultimately to, um, to your own organs. But it usually starts out as antibodies to, to food, 
and uh, in, the, in the mucous membranes of your intestine, and those are IgA antibodies. And then later, uh, if it gets into the bloodstream, we start seeing uh, an arms race where the body starts making IgG antibodies, maybe IgM antibodies. And then ultimately they start to, um, well, I shouldn't say ultimately, next they start to attack their intestines. And after they start to attack their intestines, then they begin to attack their organs. And, um, I mean, there's different propensities for this from blood type. There's different propensities for this from, from plain old genes. There's the HLA-EQ genes you may have studied that involve gluten and um, non-celiac sensitivity and the celiac sensitivity both. So there's this whole chain that starts with food and ends with self where the immune system gets confused and just starts attacking itself. I think that's just insane because it's like basically from food sensitivities, it can create this chain reaction that eventually turns into full-blown autoimmune disease. And it's, you know, nutrition is not talked about at the doctor. And it's it's like that's the cause in so many cases. You know, you're right, and we can't blame the doctors, unfortunately. When I was a little kid, we would say, you know, my parents would say, well, my son has food allergies. And and I remember listening, and the doctors would say, I was seven, and the doctors would say, well, he doesn't have a food allergy. And, and later on, we looked it up and found out that we were speaking in different languages and passing each other because the doctors were thinking of classic food allergy as defined in the textbooks, which is that classical IgE-mediated, which is the very dangerous and powerful um, uh, one that creates highs and closes your throat and causes anaphylactic shock and that you need an EpiPen for sometimes, the, the kind that you see on TV where they jab into your leg when you have a terrible attack. And I didn't have that kind. I didn't have, a, I didn't have a food allergy. I had a food sensitivity. And that language hadn't been defined 30 years ago. Right. And so much of it comes down to also just having more nutrition training in the conventional medical establishment. I mean, that would just change things so much. That's true. They don't really get many hours, and they'll admit that to you readily. I, I teach a lot of medical doctors in my courses, and and um, uh, I know you have listeners on your show that, that are the same, and they'll tell you right up front, they don't have a lot of hours in um, things like x-ray, they don't have a lot of hours in nutrition, they don't have a lot of hours in, in um, palpation and physical exam and um, you know, orthopedic exam, and, and they'll say, hey, we're weak in this area. We, we refer to other people for that. So there's no reason to blame them for it. We're all in the same we're on the same team, but uh, sometimes it gets pretty ugly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, I run into so many um, MDs and, and medical students at conferences that are just, they, they love their education, but they're wanting to, you know, fill in the gaps with the nutrition. And I just, I love when I see practitioners who are doing that that are taking more of the holistic approach. I, I think our country is really moving in that direction, which is great. Oh, yeah. It's encouraging. We, we used to be stuck between being um, unscientific and, and really full of, of hokum and folklore, which, which you know, has its, its strengths and its weaknesses. And then the other side, which was so medical-industrial complex that they would almost believe anything that a pharmaceutical company would say. And right now, I think you and I and, and the people we're, we're, we're addressing now, I think the listeners, are, are coming to this middle ground between the two. And it's a much more sustainable and philosophically uh, defensible place. Mhm. Totally. I love it. And I and I love like especially, you know, the different practitioners I've had on this show that are more conventionally minded. We're just we're all really opening up and it's just it's awesome. I love the the dialogue we're all having with each other. So, it needs to happen. Um Oh yeah. I want to talk a little bit about some uh some treatments. So, the research has been booming for vitamin D, and we know vitamin D is highly researched with autoimmune disease. Um what is the role of vitamin D and, and where do you use it with your with your patients? Gosh, well, vitamin D has been shown to show an ex exclusive, or I shouldn't say exclusive, a very powerful role um, in the T regulatory cells, those TH3 cells that regulate 
how active the T and B cells, or the Th1 and 2, as you said earlier, would behave. So um, we use vitamin D uh, testing, and we also use vitamin D uh, supplements to help people regulate their immune system when they've got these problems uh, of, of autoimmunity, and even without autoimmunity, with just weak immune systems. Mm-hmm. One thing that was so interesting, we had T.S. Wiley on the show like three weeks ago. She's written the book Lights Out. This is something that blew my mind. I never even heard of this before. And she was saying how uh, how darkness, proper darkness at night, is one that resets the vitamin D receptors to where people can actually absorb vitamin D the next day. I was like, what? Oh, yeah. People are just throwing vitamin D just in their treatments, just, you know, just huge amounts. And some people, are their levels are going up and some aren't. And, you know, I, I just I haven't tried it yet with patients just to see if that's the case, but I'm I'm curious just to kind of see how that pans out. But it kind of makes sense, you know. Oh, sure. There's a whole load of circuits that can go wrong that have to do with every sensory thing you can imagine, light and sound and taste and smell. And those are the therapies that we use in functional neurology. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I have a question here on Facebook. This is, um, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Masij, I think. And he's saying, I'm listening to your podcast right now. Can you talk more about chronic fatigue syndrome? Can you touch on that, Dr. Pierce? Sure. Well, chronic fatigue syndrome has moved over the years to include the Epstein-Barr virus uh, testing. Um, and many, many folks really believe that that's the, the essence of the definition. Uh, between chronic fatigue and, say, fibromyalgia or other problems where people have tiredness uh, and, and, and tremendous fatigue, there's a whole host of diagnostic criteria that people have to fall into to meet fibromyalgia diagnosis or to meet chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, in general, the the naturopathic approach, which is a very sound one, is to look at uh, mitochondria and the production of energy from the mitochondria inside our cells. And they do all kinds of dietary and supplement manipulations to both cleanse the person, uh, take away the things that are bad, and give them the things that they need to have good mitochondria. Uh, and from a neurological perspective, what we try to do is make sure that the fatigue centers and the alertness centers or the arousal centers in the brain are working well. And those are in the brainstem. They're called the reticular activating system. And those are the systems in your brainstem that help you wake up and stay awake and concentrate and then help you be tired and fall asleep and be able to sleep. So we work on those circuits um, up in the, in the midbrain and the brainstem um, with functional neurology to try and support the naturopath's efforts to fix the mitochondria throughout the body. Got it. Very holistic way of looking at it, and, and and along with that, with the the fatigue picture, you know, with adrenal fatigue in in particular, people throw that term around a lot. Um, is it really always a problem with the adrenals, or I mean, does the brain have something to do with it? What else is going on with this whole adrenal fatigue picture? Well, it's it's very exciting. Dr. Karazian brought this one out for us. Um, he was the one who kind of dug this out of the literature for us. Um, it had been there waiting for us for a number of years, but he kind of brought it to the fore by saying that the hippocampus. Uh, which is part of your temporal lobe in your brain, um, it, that, that that structure actually controls the circadian rhythms uh, of, of, of the release of hormones that are that are cyclic, like um, melatonin for sleep and cortisol for um, waking up and uh, stress and, and a bunch of other hormones. But those circadian rhythms are under the control of brain structures. So sometimes patients need brain exercises to fix their adrenals when supplements don't work. It's not very common, I mean, in the overall picture, but it's a booming thing that we're seeing um, in the specialty crack. Wow. Yeah, I went to his uh, talk on the adrenals, and I was like, oh, my gosh. I was like, the majority of of doctors are missing so much when it comes to adrenals. It was just amazing. And it's like, yeah, like you're saying, it was there all along. He just had the time and, you know, 
energy to do all the research and or you know and dig it all out <laughs> when we're too lazy oh, to do gosh. that. Yeah. Yeah, his, his stuff is amazing. His thyroid book is amazing, and his um, lectures are amazing. Really, really powerful stuff for patients. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So how would you know that a patient might have, like, hippocampus involvement versus adrenals? Like, are there certain clues that might tell you that? Yeah, the naturopath or the general practitioner, the chiropractor, would order an, uh, some kind of an adrenal panel that would be a saliva test for uh, the circadian rhythm. That would mean a, a collection of, of saliva four times in a day or a night that would look at the rhythm of the output of the cortisol that comes out in the saliva. Now, this has been uh, validated quite a bit and, and used a lot in um, psychological research. It's used in departments of psychology to research stress all the time, and it's been uh, published quite a bit. So the, the, the use of saliva testing for cortisol has really been um, accepted for a lot of this work. And we're not talking about a pathology or disease here. We're just talking about an imbalance. When we see a certain pattern, there should be a high level in the morning, and then it should get lower and lower, kind of like a wave going down, a slope going down the rest of the day and being the lowest at the end of the day, and then ramping up again about 7, 8 a.m. in the morning. That should be that cycle, a wave that peaks at 7 or 8 a.m. and then drops down the rest of the day. So if a person has the opposite of that or breaks that rhythm or has a zigzag shape to their rhythm, that tells us that they've broken their circadian rhythm. And with their circadian rhythm broken, they, um, they have a, that's a pretty good indication that their hippocampus in their temporal lobe isn't doing a very good job of regulating the adrenal glands. So you can work on those adrenal glands all day physically and, and with manipulations and with simulations and lasers and all kinds of stuff, but the real problem may be in the hippocampus. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, the phone line, 818-495-6919. That's 818-495-6919. I want to take a couple of Facebook questions before I forget. This is uh, from Jason, and he says, Alzheimer's runs in my family. Is there a way to prevent from or prevent me from getting it, I should say? Well, the the Food and Drug Administration and the, and the Federal Trade Commission don't allow us to um, to make claims of prevention, and, and that's a pretty wise thing because really, if anybody's going to make claims of prevention, they should have some serious studies behind their work. So we can't make a claim. We can't go so far as to say prevention. We can say that the circuits are becoming quite well known in Alzheimer's, in both nutritional circuits and in the um, the neurological circuits. We know that especially Alzheimer's likes to sneak up on people by affecting the temporal lobes first before it affects the frontal lobes. So for a lot of people, they begin to have these subtle changes in short-term memory and uh, regulation of their um, of their circadian rhythms, and they don't really notice this. It, can, it seems kind of trivial, and um, you can imagine the, the typical professor type who's really quite intellectually strong, and uh, they can have quite a lot of degeneration of their temporal lobes before they ever have any any uh, symptoms of frontal lobe degeneration because they're thinking with their frontal lobes and synthesizing and providing deep answers and writing wonderful papers and presenting good lectures, but they can't remember where their car is or they can't regulate their sleep. They can't regulate their uh, immune system. They can't regulate their cortisol. And so slowly this Alzheimer's is creeping up on them without warning until their frontal lobe is affected. And by then it's really quite late. So we can't use thought and, um, and cognition as a measure. We have to use memory and circadian rhythms and sleep things like that as a measure before we um, before we wait for their uh, their brain to go, as, as it were. So what would be the best ways to keep that whole system healthy? Well, um, one, one way is uh, the use of phosphatidylserine. That's a powerful supplement that's been shown to help the uh, hippocampus. Um, it's, a, it's an important lipid. It's an important fat that has to be used in the, in the brain. Um, uh, controlling um, 
the basics that we talked about before, things like looking at anemia and blood sugar changes. I think the biggest problem that we see is the fact that people don't realize that their um, their blood sugar is slipping a little low, and it doesn't have to slip medically low before a person begins to have brain symptoms like loss of concentration or kind of an irritability or um, or even just the fact that they feel sharper after they eat. Because when people start to lose blood sugar control, they don't feel hungry. So they often think that if they were hypoglycemic, they'd feel hungry. But a lot of times that circuit kind of uh, wears out temporarily and, and doesn't fire well for them. How often are you seeing blood sugar problems with patients? Is it pretty common? Well, gosh, I, I think we, we see it in nearly every patient because of that lack of hunger. People wait for hunger to tell them that they need to eat, and that really is not wise for most patients. You know, I remember back in the day when I was a vegetarian, I, I you know, and I, and I think that there's ways to do vegetarianism a lot healthier, and for me, that wasn't the way I was doing it at all. Um, but I, I had just, my blood sugar was just shot. And I remember once I changed my diet kind of to, to a more paleo way of eating, my my blood sugar was so much more stable. My I felt like I remembered things so much better. I was just, just so much clearer-headed. Um, so I, that was a, a you know a, a diet that worked really well for me. What is um, what's the, the type of diet that you recommend for patients to keep their blood sugar stable throughout the day? Well, we tend to use um, paleo type diets because our our work is involved in reducing antigens that might fire off autoimmunity. Because most of our work is neuroautoimmunity. We have patients that have these neuroautoimmune syndromes like um, atypical seizures, um, autism, um, dyslexia. Um, uh, dystonia, they, they often have falls where they have um, ataxia and they fall all over the place. Now, mind you, we're not saying that the treatment for all these diseases is a, is a diet, but for certain people that fit a certain category, it really is very helpful. So we see that paleo diet quite a lot where we eliminate grains for a period of time and maybe forever, depending on the lab test. We'll eliminate a lot of lectins that may, be, may affect them. Uh, you may have heard of that in the blood type concepts in the past, blood type diets that look at lectins uh, and mitogens. You may see, um, see us reduce beans and grains and dairy and, um, of course, all the gluten, which is the grain, um, and uh, be very careful to control um, um, all those things and, and even more. Mm -hmm. So basically, you know, eating meat, veggies, fruits, nuts and seeds, right, and oils. I haven't talked yes. about paleo at all on the show yet, but for those listening, I will have um, an author coming up in probably two or three weeks on paleo, so we'll talk all about it. Oh, that's excellent. Some people even have to take off of nuts, but really each diet is custom for the patient. We start with a general template and we kind of customize it based on the blood test and lab test for their immune system. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Here's another question from Rachel from Redondo Beach. She says, my grandfather was just diagnosed with Alzheimer's. I want to be able to give him information on natural options. What, what do you suggest? Well, um, I think when, when you start dealing with very difficult diseases and, and people begin to have a, a diagnosis that's very very powerful and scary, you need to have somebody in your corner that's very good. And I would recommend to have a naturopath and a chiropractic neurologist somewhere in your corner. Um, I use a website called acnb.org, which is the American Chiropractic Neurology Board, which is the website that lists all of the board-certified chiropractic neurologists that help with brain rehab. And then, of course, um, find a good naturopath in your area that does, uh, that does work with nutrition and lab testing. Or, or a chiropractor, um, somebody that you trust that can help you with the chemistry side in addition to the brain side. So you've got somebody in your corner because this stuff gets really complicated really fast. Mm -hmm. 
That's great. Yeah, I didn't know about that website. So it's AC, so it's American College of NB. What was what did it stand for? American Chiropractic Neurology Board, so ACNB.org. Awesome. And, and Rachel, if you're listening, um, naturopathic.org, that's the website if you want to find uh, a naturopathic doctor in your area um, who has gone to an accredited school. So it's naturopathic.org. And I think it's like naturedoctors.org as well. Um, awesome. So let's go into just a few more um, treatments. So you mentioned um, vitamin D. I want to go into uh, the importance of glutathione. Can you speak a little bit about that? Well, sure. Um, I uh... Uh, we, we found that, that people have a tremendous deficiency in glutathione often, and, and um, it's more of a functional deficiency. We can't always find the best evidence of it because it's hard to it's hard to test for things like um, nitric oxide and glutathione. They're very expensive. In fact, a guy even won a Nobel Prize for discovering how to test for nitric oxide. So that that pathway of looking at um, these these uh, detoxifiers and cell signalers is is one that we don't have enough science yet to do really powerful testing for. So we use supplementation. Uh, in our office, we use creams to uh, introduce glutathione into the skin and the lymphatic system, and we also use um, supplements that help boost the recycling of glutathione, which is to say supplements that help stimulate the enzymes um, that recycle glutathione and its sulfur molecules. There's some, some sulfur bonds inside of glutathione that have to be recycled when glutathione gets worn out. It's the main detoxifying chemical in the human body. And that's why it smells so bad. <laughs> I have a, I have a glutathione supplement that just smells like rotten eggs, but it's because of that sulfur. So I actually, um, I don't know if I've mentioned glutathione on the show before, but just for those people who don't know what it is, what is glutathione? Well, it's a, it's a combination of three amino acids, three, um, um, three proteins that combine together to form a powerful molecule, and that is the molecule, um, it's, it's produced throughout the body, but quite a bit in the liver, and its, it's job is to, to help us detoxify. Its job is to break down toxins, and it's the single most powerful of all. There's many, many more, and you can go crazy studying all the different kinds of detoxification, but that's the main molecule that we um, we glue together out of those three amino acids and, um, and, and throw it at the enemy, which is toxins. Mm-hmm. So oh, I wanted to step back a little bit and talk a little bit more about um, autoimmune disease because I haven't... Um I think just covered it totally. I know there's a lot of people listening who um, have been affected by or have friends with lupus. Um, could you speak a little bit about just, like, what's going on in certain autoimmune diseases and where, for those listening, where can they start to just kind of well, get it, you know, taken care of? It's very, very difficult. There is um, uh, lupus is one of the most difficult autoimmune diseases because it's so it's so powerful and it's so systemic. It involves so many aspects of the individual. Um, there, there are um, a whole load of Americans. I did a search recently on, on Google to find out how many people were complaining of lupus and searching for information on it. It was, it was way over half a million even in, in Colorado. So wow. there's, there's a tremendous number of people. Lupus is an autoimmune disease, and, and usually, um, not always, but usually you see this um, anti-nuclear antibody uh, tests show up in, in the blood test. But again, that's not um, the only way to be sure. There's, there just is no way to be sure of the, of the complete diagnosis of lupus. Usually it's a clinical diagnosis in combination with some, some, um, um, some testing. But what's going on really is that the immune system has gone really crazy. Um, it's gone, go, gone beyond its normal defenses. Um, the, the first defense from a perspective of um, kind of like a, a military defense, like there's an invader coming, the first line in the sand is your, your mucous membrane. And then after that is the complement system. 
which uh, we can talk about another show. And then after that is the TH1 and 2 system. And if the, if the offender, uh, offending organism gets past that, we have the TH3 system that breaks down, the one we talked about with vitamin D. And then the final one to get through all those is the TH17 system. And so I know that may sound obscure, but let's make it easy. The TH17 system is really the spearhead that kills the cells in the end. So if you can imagine that you've got um, a body that thinks it's under attack or that is under attack from infection outside or autoimmune inside, and it says, man, I really can't afford to let the invader, maybe it's a virus or something, attack my cells and use my cells to make more virus. I've got to blow up the, I've got to blow up my ammunition or blow up my tanks or blow up my ships before I leave. So in the body, we call this process of blowing up your fort before you leave it apoptosis. Apoptosis means blowing up or killing your own cells. So if you get so sick that your body says, I've been, I've been overwhelmed, all my systems have been overwhelmed, we start to fire this TH17 system. And that TH17 system starts to destroy cells. That's where you get actual autoimmune disease destruction. So we try to find supplements and diets that will help calm down that TH17 system so we don't um, push that self-destruct button. Got it. And so there's certain tools that a, a doctor can use in the clinic to better assess what branch of the immune system is, is firing, right? Can you talk a little bit about that? That's right. Sure. Um, um, we, we, we try to, with these patients, these patients are so sick that we, we've largely begun to abandon the TH1 and 2 um, manipulations for, for only those patients. Now, let me, let me clarify. Manipulating the TH1 and 2 system using herbs and using drugs and using um, injections is a marvelous thing that medicine and natural medicine have used. Sometimes we induce fevers or give patients, intentionally give them worms or other things that are designed to, to slew their immune system from one side toward the other. You may have seen that on episodes of House. That kind of thing is, is well known and well studied. But what I'm talking about is for the very advanced autoimmune patient who's really sick. And we're discovering, in fact, Dr. Vajdani lectured about this recently, that when they're that sick, certain cells that used to be known uh, understood to secrete only TH1 or TH2 type of of signals begin to break down and secrete both. So we lose the, the advantage of trying to manipulate TH1 and 2. So what we do is we retreat and try to manipulate this TH17 system. And the way we do that is supplements that, that control and regulate nitric oxide. And so you wouldn't want to suggest a person do that on their own. This is something you want to go see a doctor who's familiar in how to do this, and then they can help better assess you, correct? <laughs> Yeah, and here's the danger. If you read about manipulating your TH1 and 2 system and you've got a screaming autoimmune reaction and it's, it's just going crazy attacking your cells, then you've really blown past any usefulness of TH1 and TH2 and because your TH3 system is also blown out. So in that case, you've already entered the apoptotic pathway of TH17 and you've kind of, it's like you forgot to retreat and you're still fighting behind enemy lines. So when people do this and they try to use the TH1 and TH2 system to, uh, to to work on an autoimmune disease, they often make themselves worse. Right. We don't want to do that. We want people to get better. <laughs> and, you know, we, we're learning. This is new information. This has only come out this year. This is really not anything that clinicians have been taught about until very, very recently by Dr. Vistani and Dr. Um, Karazian and myself. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I want to take a caller. This is from the... Um, 720. Caller, are you there? Uh, is it me? Yeah. Yeah, we hear you. Oh, hi. Okay. Hi, hey, what's your name um, and where are you calling from? My name is Alice and I'm calling from Colorado. Hello. What's your question? Um, well, I have a question. I have um, epilepsy 
And um, I guess my question was, how does hormones play a factor in epilepsy? Because I have noticed that different times of um, the month, I am I'm worse than other times. Well, that's a great question. Would you like me to take that? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a couple of things. Um, uh, first of all, seizure disorders are a huge category like arthritis where there's just a million possibilities. So I don't want you to think that we have, we're advertising some, you know, effective treatment for all seizures. Uh, in our office, we have some, some very narrow areas of seizure disorders that we have great results in, and the rest we do very poorly in. So let me say that first. The, the answer to your question, in, in my experience, has been that um, excess estrogen can be a real problem because it makes tissue friable. Friable is a surgeon's term, and it means that the tissue becomes very weak and you can tear it easily. Um, it's a problem for surgeons because when they operate on women that have high, high estrogen beyond normal, their tissue is so soft that sometimes they can't even stitch it up. So if you've got a circulating estrogen level that's, that's abnormally high, you can start having softening of the tissue in your in your uh, digestive tract and your blood-brain barrier. You can have this friable tissue problem, and it makes membranes very weak, and there's lots of inflammation that goes with it. Do you have a follow-up, um, uh, Oh, go ahead. I, I should say one one last thing. We really end up um, working on the hormones, too, but the hormone system, the, at least the sex hormone system, is rather secondary to some of the other basics. So a lot of times we find that our, our patients with uh, atypical seizures um, have a, a gluten sensitivity gene, and so we like to test them for gluten sensitivity genes. The problem with this is that modern medicine really has fused two things together that need to be separated. They look at gluten sensitivity or wheat sensitivity as celiac disease, which is a problem because celiac is only an autoimmune problem in your small intestine. It's, it's a reaction to um, it's a reaction where you form antibodies to gluten in your small intestine. So if you don't form antibodies to your small intestine and you do form them in your brain or your peripheral nerves or your spinal cord or something, then um, the doctors will miss this, and they'll say, well, you passed your celiac test, go out and eat all the wheat you want, and we find a problem with that. Hmm. Any follow-up questions, Allison? Um, no, I think uh, I think you did answer my questions. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for calling. Thank you. That's such a good question. Thanks. That's yeah. such a good question. We we see um we, we do gene testing for gluten and then we do antibody testing for gluten through Cyrex Labs, which is Dr. Vishdani's um uh laboratory. And we're able to find uh that people have um antibodies to their own intestine, antibodies to different gluten uh fractions that no one tests for until he and he uh really created those tests. Mm-hmm. And also um cross reactions to different other foods. So that's what we do most of the time when we're successful with epilepsy or other seizure disorders. But again, I don't want you to think that that's a treatment for all um, epilepsy. It's only an adjunctive therapy for some forms of seizure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So um, have you have you also found, because I'm interested in this with migraines as well, do you find that, that's, that that can be the case with migraines as well, Dr. Pierce? Yeah, migraines is another one of those things where there's a million causes for it. So you need a really good di- differential diagnostician who can help you figure out if it's um, – if it's uh, partly hormones and partly blood sugar and partly autoimmune and partly um, brain uh, circuits that are misfiring. Sometimes it's even mild traumatic brain disorder from a car accident or, or a, maybe a sports injury. Mm-hmm. So interesting. I find with so many of my patients getting 
their blood sugar balanced, it takes care of so many of the migraine cases. It's amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Here's a question from Michelle. She says, I'm curious about Dr. Pierce's approach to MS, if he has any ideas when it comes to MS. Well, MS is, is largely considered an autoimmune uh, problem, and there's just been a recent study that came out. You can you can uh, look this up on PubMed for free. PubMed is a, a search site that allows you to search scientific peer-reviewed literature uh, that's indexed for free. And so um, there's this fraction in dairy products called milk butyrophilin, and milk butyrophilin is this thing that's very similar to the protein casein, and um, it, it has been shown to cause a reaction to the cells that make myelin inside the brain. And when that happens, sometimes we can get the placking of MS. So again, I'm not saying this is the cause for all MS, but I'm saying that we've found a number of patients that have reactions to gluten and casein and milk, milk butyrophilin. And if we remove those foods and help calm the inflammation, they often get better. And in fact, when we track them over time, we've seen a reduction in the plaques on our MRIs when we do serial MRIs over the years. Wow. So you take them off of gluten, off of dairy, right? And then yep. you calm the inflammation. How do you calm the inflammation? Well, we, we like to use um uh we like to use the um uh the apex lines for this one. This is this is a very careful kind of a of a procedure. You want to use things that are very gentle but also directed at the pathway that you're trying to fix. We like to use the um the mixed bioflavonoids that are in um in uh, Apex's Neuroflam. Um, I, I use that quite a lot for these patients to try and reduce the swelling. Or, or I shouldn't say swelling. We're not talking about swelling. We're talking about inflammation, which is a little separate than swelling uh, inside the brain. And um, there's these reactive species called peroxynitrates and other terrible, terrible bad things called cytokines that are in the brain, and we want to calm those down. It turns out that certain kinds of bioflavonoids will help calm those down. So we use those a lot in addition to dietary supplements and omega-3s and vitamin D and a bunch of other stuff to, to control those nitric oxide pathways and CH17 pathways, all the stuff that we talked about uh, a little bit earlier to try and calm that down. And, again, we don't fix everybody, let me tell you, but um, we've had some very good results over the last, um, well, for me, 15 years. Wow, that's awesome. Sometimes the, the words you say are so scientific. It's like you're, you're like freestyle rapping and like scientific words. It's awesome. <laughs> I love it. I hope, I'm, I hope I'm going slow enough, but I want to give you some meat so you all can look things up and really see that this is real science. This is not the, this is not the hokum anymore that we used to get trapped in. This is really exciting. It's, a, it's an exciting time to be a natural practitioner because we finally have evidence-based medicine and we can join the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. No, it definitely doesn't seem like it's just hippy dippy stuff. I mean, you're it sounds very well researched, well cited. <laughs> um, you know, you know, I, I, it's, I should mention that um, there really is a place for for also the old fashioned hippy dippy stuff because general reduction of stress has been shown to be a major factor in these autoimmune cases. So there really is a there really is a case to be made for those um those uh, feel good practitioners that are not science based that are doing all of those energy based things. They're really, they should be defended in some way, too, because while they're not very specific, we know that the general idea of reducing stress is the most important factor for how sensitive your um, IgA antibodies are and how sensitive your mucous membranes are at the very beginning of this process. When you begin to decide, your, your tissues begin to decide, am I going to react or not to a food? Totally, and you totally put me in my place with that one because as soon as you said, like, we need to give them respect, and it's like, you're so right because some of the old-time naturopaths <laughs> who I know that it's very much like, you know, what's been used for thousands of years, they're, they're the healthiest docs I know, and they're, like, you know, in their 80s and 90s and still practicing, so got to give them some credit. Yeah, well, 
finding that middle ground is so hard because we've got to push for more science every year, and yet we can't give up our heritage, and and yet we've also got to scour heritage for for stuff that may be uh, less less than useful. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we are almost running up on time. I'd want to ask you one more question. And what what would be the the top ways for a person listening to have you know keep their brain healthy? What what are some good things they can do? Well, aside from you know. Um, Seeing the chiropractor and seeing the naturopath and the acupuncturist, all those things, and, and, and uh, looking at stress and childhood issues and all those basics of health, from a brain perspective, it would be um, try to do things that you do every day with your eyes closed and see if you have good balance. If you really find that you're good at yoga with your eyes open and you're terrible at yoga with your eyes closed or any other exercise, that may be a sign of a brain imbalance in your cerebellum, for example, and you might want to go get checked out. Um, Likewise, if you've got problems with your immune system or problems that, that you can't seem to solve with your chiropractor or your um, acupuncturist or your naturopath, or you seem to break the rules with your guts or your hormones or your immune system, don't blame your practitioner. Ask for a referral and try and get a workup by, um, by some of this more advanced labs and, and neuro stuff and, and see if you can find a reason for that. And most of the time, you'll end up back with your original practitioner with a new treatment plan uh, in hand. Hmm. What do you do to keep your brain healthy? Because, uh, you know, you well, say your brain I, is stronger now than it was back in the day. So what's your secret? Oh, yeah. I tell you, I do eye exercises and balance exercises. Um, I, I also do the exams with my patients. So as I take my patients through their neuro exam, I do it with them so that I can test myself um, several times a day. So I do eye exercises and eye movements, both fast and slow. It's kind of hard to explain those over the Internet here. But right. I do fast and slow eye movements in different directions. I do balance exercises. I do some meditations. I do some um, speed drills because chiropractors have to keep their speed up for adjustments. Um, uh, I do coordination and timing exercises. And sometimes I I even do brain uh, games on the computer. We've got a bunch of brain exercises that are computer-based that will help uh, exercise the brain. And I have witnessed that, too. That's that's a really cool thing to see. Um, Yeah, and and I'm gluten and dairy-free, so that's that's me. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, is there anything else you'd like to leave with our listeners before I let you go? Well, just keep reading and talking to people and don't give up because there's usually somebody that studied the science of something somewhere that you that you're suffering from and try not to give in to um you know, uh, the idea that it's hopeless. Somebody somewhere has probably figured out something that relates to whatever anybody's got, at least in part. There there's usually partial hope for, for most people. Totally, and you need to really feel interested by your doctor and listened to by your doctor. And if you don't feel like that, then keep looking, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. What What are some resources where people can learn more about you or some resources for um, doctors listening who want to learn more? Well, when doctors want to study, um, if, if doctors want to become a board certified in functional neurology, they should go to the org, which is for doctors. Uh, that, that's for those doctors, the, the very few of them that want to become board certified in, in neurology and functional neurology. They can do that. Medical doctors can also take courses and become um, certified in this, just as chiropractors and naturopaths, osteopaths can. Um, for the for the for the general practitioner, there's a, a website um, uh, called fix your, fixthebrain.com, and that's a course um, uh, uh, that uh, puts together um, introductory courses on neurology that are not so intimidating for the general practitioner that does not want to become a specialist and, and take years of study. Um, they've, they've got some courses in Santa Ana, California in September, in Vancouver, Washington in October. And um, um, for, for me, um, you can find me on the acnb.org website for functional and, and uh, licensed chiropractic neurologists. 
Um, I think the integratedhealthdenver.com is my office in Denver with Dr. Stedman, who's a, a well-known lecturer in, um, in endocrinology and blood chemistry and, and um, um, neurology around the country. Uh, he's a, 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 my partner in that office. And then thyroidbook.org is uh, Dr. Karazian's wonderful and top-rated book on thyroid. Um, so um, fixthebrain.com would be the one for the general practice person. And uh, I, I, let's see what else. Um, I think that's the general idea for people like massage therapists and all the way up to, to physicians that want to learn a little more about clinical work. Psychologists like to take courses in basic brain function, learning how to screen for these brain problems and be able to appropriately refer is a great service to your patients. So we, uh, we advocate that, and, um, and, and they, that, that, group, um, that group at fixthebrain.com hires some of the best neurologists around the country to teach. Awesome. I'm definitely going to go ahead and do that for sure. And I'm looking forward to having Stedman on the show, too. i got to send him an email and have him on the show as well. Oh, you'll love rock. him. You'll love him. Yeah, I do he's love on, him. He's, he's awesome. He's on TV. I, oh, yeah, you'll love him. He's on TV and all kinds of stuff. You guys are rocking it. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. I love what you're doing with this. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Okay, thanks, Doc. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys. That's the show. Thank you so much for tuning in. So much information is great. I'm going to have to listen to that and take some more notes because that's some major pearls in that show for sure. Um, check out my website if you guys have any questions, drlaurennoel.com. Definitely check out um, Dr. Pierce's website. You'll learn so much from that. So much information that he's giving that a lot of doctors really don't know about. And you have the right to have answers and to really know what's going on. So do the research. Check it all out. You'll be really happy that you did. Next week's show, again, it will be on diabetes and prediabetes with Dr. Mona Morstein. She is fabulous. You will absolutely love that show. That will be a week from tonight, Tuesday night at 5 p.m. Again, thank you so much for listening to Dr. Low Radio, and I will check you guys next week. Bye. North Pole Hotline, help! My in-laws are hosting Thanksgiving, and we're bringing the dressing. You mean stuffing? No, dressing. I need cute outfits for everyone. Get to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, Old Navy's kicking off the holidays with stylish denim, velvet tops, the season's best dresses, and 40% off your entire purchase now through Tuesday. 40% off? We'll be stuffing our shopping bags full. And don't forget colorful sweaters and amazing outerwear, too. You can even buy online and pick up in store for free. Ooh, I love an all-you-can-wear buffet. Holiday your heart out at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1118 to 1120. Exclusion supply. See stores for details. North Pole Hotline, help! My in-laws are hosting Thanksgiving, and we're bringing the dressing. You mean stuffing? No, dressing. I need cute outfits for everyone. Get to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, Old Navy's kicking off the holidays with stylish denim, velvet tops, the season's best dresses, and 40% off your entire purchase now through Tuesday. 40% off? We'll be stuffing our shopping bags full. And don't forget colorful sweaters and amazing outerwear, too. You can even buy online and pick up in store for free. Ooh, I love an all-you-can-wear buffet. Holiday your heart out at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1118 to 1120. Exclusion supply. See stores for details.